It's Friday, February 24th. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and uh, we got a lot to get to, including a preview of this weekend's biggest game, specifically Florida at Kentucky in a game that will probably decide the SEC regular season title, and UCLA at Arizona, a game that if Arizona wins it, they're guaranteed at least a share of the Pac-12 title. We're going to get to that stuff, but I wanted to start with uh, some troubling off-the-court news originating in Omaha. Former Creighton point guard Maurice Watson has been uh, charged with first-degree sexual assault. The news broke a late a Thursday a night. It's a felony. And so I don't want to spend uh, much time or any time discussing how bad it is because it's obviously bad. Innocent till proven guilty and, and all that. But this is no longer just an accusation. You know, Mo Watson has been formally charged with a felony. This is uh, serious stuff. It's a big story in the world of college basketball. But, but I don't think a story that resonates too much outside of the sport because Watson hasn't played uh, since he tore his ACL back on January 16th. His college career ended more than a month ago. Here's my question for you, Norlanda. How big of a story, because I was trying to think, I don't think we've ever had anything like this. How big of a story would this be if Maurice Watson were what he was, you know, say six weeks ago, which is an All-American candidate, National Player of the Year candidate, someone who was leading the nation in assists uh, and playing for uh, a Creighton team that was ranked, uh, you know, six weeks ago, or at least before he was injured, in the top 10 of the AP poll. He was doing all of those things once upon a time. If he were still doing those things now and charged with felony sexual assault, how big of a story would this be in college basketball? Pretty big. Um, as it stands right now, you know, I have a headline on the site. It was, I think it's the first headline on our, on our news rail on the college basketball arena. So it's still a very big story in terms of college basketball. But if he was still playing... Uh, you would have a lot more people talking about this. Certainly, we would have more coverage of it on the site. Um, it is a very interesting, shocking story. Um, had not heard a bad word about this guy ever. Had been pretty good with the media overall, to be honest. And to see this happen is bizarre, frightening, disturbing. You can pick any sort of word you want, um, but... Yeah, he was obviously a beloved member of that team, and and now we have this. It's 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 just awful. Um, and we'll see what comes, you know, next. But yeah, late Thursday night, a felony warrant was out for 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 him for his arrest. So it was a uh, it was an interesting Thursday because he had been suspended. We have not talked about this on the podcast right. because I was frankly unaware of this. I, you know. He had been suspended for a week and a half, had not been, you know, on the bench for Creighton games, had not been involved in team activities. And in regard to the uh, the alleged incident, um, you know, a Creighton student uh, basically, you know, is, is accusing Watson uh, of sexual assault. And she went to the police a, a matter of six or seven hours after it happened and, and filed the report. Um, so this is something that will stain his reputation forever and obviously could land him in jail if found guilty. Yeah, it's, I mean, again, this is not just an accusation. It is a, uh, a felony charge. Like, he's going to be booked and appear in court and have to plead and all of that stuff. And um, like you, I had never heard a bad word about Maurice Watson. Uh, I don't want to say that I had heard he's the best person in the world. I just hadn't heard much in that way at all. But it's just a reminder 
and I, I sort of roll my eyes all the time when I hear people who are media members, particularly college basketball reporters, because the truth is um, we, don't, we don't spend four years with the best players, the ones we're typically talking about. Like we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about Malik Monk and, and Mark Hill Fultz and and the, you know we don't we don't get four years of college of those guys we get you know six months of college of those guys and so we typically meet them when they're like 16 years old like you know when's the first time you ever had a conversation with Malik Monk he was probably 15 16 years old for me and so then you know when you see him you say hello when you're in a press conference setting you ask him a question we don't know these people and I always hear college basketball and I, you know there's some they're like oh you know he's such a great kid he's such a great kid Oh yeah, he's a good kid. You don't know. We don't know these people. You know, we like we uh, we know their coaches typically, and, and we've we've been in the same room with the players sometimes, but we don't know them. And this is just another reminder. Like you never. I don't want to say never because maybe somebody can go pull up a tweet from somewhere. Um, I try not to ever describe a college player um, as a quote good person or a great kid. I say, hey, he's always been good to me, or um, I've always liked, or I like what I know about it, or uh, he seems like a likable guy. Uh, but I try not to ever talk in those in those terms. Like he's a good kid because you just don't know, and like uh, this development. Um, and again, innocent to proven guilty. We shouldn't be sitting here talking about. See, Maurice Watson's a scumbag. I mean, we're not talking about Chris Brown right. here, who has sort of uh, proved himself to be a, a scumbag over and over again. Um, I, you know, perhaps this is all not what it appears to be. I, I'm willing to, to give him the benefit of the doubt, if only because I think it would be wrong not to. But it's, like you said, a disturbing headline. And uh, you knew it had to be serious. Um, you knew it had to be serious when it was Wednesday night because we were in studio, CBS Sports Network, trying to figure out what to do with it because the Omaha paper, um, which is a legitimate news source. We're not talking about hashtag fake news here, but they reported that he was under. Inv- no, initially it was reported that he was just suspended. Just that's it. It was suspended. Right. And so it was like, wow, this must be serious. Like, you know, why would you? What is the point of suspending somebody for an injured player? For an right. injured player, like, what is? It seems pointless, uh, unless the point is we don't want somebody accused of this anywhere. In, in connected to our program in any way whatsoever, which is what Creighton obviously decided, and I give them credit for that. They handled this properly. You wish all schools would handle these types of, of serious allegations properly. Um, but you knew then it would be serious. And then by Wednesday night, it was known that he had been accused of sexual assault. And by Thursday night, it is known that he's going to be charged. He is charged with felony sexual assault. So um, just a, a weird a weird and troubling story for a Creighton program that – um, has really experienced the roller coaster of emotions this year. There was a time when uh, I had talked, and I wrote this column back in November, or December, probably December. But I wrote a column, you know, from uh, about Creighton, and I had talked to a coach who had already played and lost to them, and everybody had lost to him at this point. They were undefeated, I believe. Uh, who said, if you want to look smart, go ahead and jump on the Creighton bandwagon. That team's good enough to go to a Final Four. And for a while, they looked that part. Really, up until Mo got hurt, they looked that part. And uh, to go from that to now, you know, at risk of falling out of the AP Top 25, which is probably going to happen this week, to, yeah, you'll make the NCAA tournament, but where are you going? To having the guy who was the face of your program, uh, you know, just six, seven weeks ago, uh, not only accused of a very serious crime, but but charged with a very serious crime is just, why. You know, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a been a, been a roller coaster a couple of months, undeniably. It, yeah, just this turned into it, it, one. You know, 
it was a you know a letdown and depressing when Watson got injured, and now it's just it's just weirdly disturbing, and we're entering into the most media-heavy portion of the season for for the sport. Uh, Creighton will go to New York City shortly to play in the Big East tournament. I'll be there, and you know we'll see what happens from here because what what will happen that we know is that Watson will remain in the news. And by the way, Creighton's got a game at Villanova on Saturday. Probably won't win that one either, uh, especially after Villanova's coming off a rare, rare home loss by being defeated by Butler. So just it, keep an eye on the Blue Jays in terms of pure on-court stuff. Um, this could really go sideways in a hurry. Um, we'll see how they can respond because you cannot deny... We talk about sometimes how distraction talk can be somewhat overblown, but this is like, imagine if you're like really tight with Watson, right? If you're a couple guys on that team, you still hang out with them daily, you see him a lot, right? And this happens, like, like this, this would shake you. If if one of my really good friends did this or was accused of this, like that just immediately changes the dynamic forever. So. Um, we'll see what happens from here, but I'm glad we started with it because it is a uh, legitimate news story, disturbing, and I did not want to uh, bypass it. That was you know, certainly as we enter Friday, it's one of the biggest stories in college basketball. We'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. He's not just a Creighton's former point guard or or the Creighton player's former teammate. He is their current friend. You know, like that that, that that's a weird thing to have one of your friends accused of and then charged with a very serious uh, crime, particularly with. Um, you know, the conversations we're having all over this country about, you know, sexual assault issues on college campuses. You know, you you hear about that. And perhaps you had heard about that, you know, on your own campus. But odds are, if you're a college basketball player, you never had it um, connected to somebody so close to you. Somebody you traveled with, shared a locker room with, um, worked with every day. And so, yeah, it's undeniably a distraction. It doesn't mean it's not a distraction that can't be overcome, but it is undeniably a distraction for that basketball program that, again, like you mentioned, has got a huge game this weekend. They're playing at Villanova. You mentioned Villanova um, losing, uh, taking a rare home loss uh, Wednesday night at Butler. And it isn't, I think, worth noting that the last time we recorded uh, this podcast, it was Wednesday morning. So it was before Villanova lost at home to Butler, before Duke took a loss at the buzzer uh, at Syracuse. So let's touch on both of those a little bit. We were in studio uh, that night and just, you know, we were watching everything and it, you know, then talking about everything. And uh, Adam Zucker, who's the studio host, one of many uh, at CBS Sports Network and CBS Sports, you know, he asked me, so what does it mean for Villanova? And I thought for a second and I said, nothing. Like it really, like it doesn't change anything for Villanova. I mean, it obviously snaps that long winning streak that they had at the pavilion. But, you know, when Villanova woke up Thursday morning, they were still projected to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, they still going to be Big East champions for the fourth straight year. They still got a great opportunity to repeat as national champions. Like you never want to lose, but sometimes losses do have larger meanings and, and big effects. And I just don't think that one did. I think they just, they were, they got comfortable. They had a comfortable lead and then Butler got hot. And next thing you know, you're down seven. And then, you know what? You, you can't climb out of every hole every time, which is what Villanova has uh, seem to do over the past couple of years. It's every time they get into a little bit of a sticky situation, like they tend to uh, more often than not, you know, pull them, pull themselves out of it. They weren't able to do it on this night, but I didn't take any larger meaning from the game. It's just like, whatever, they'll be fine. And they are fine. And whatever, Where, am, 
Am I understating what happened, or do you feel similarly? Uh, my quick thoughts on the outcome and effects or lack thereof. One, I thought, okay, Chris Holtman's going to probably make more money because what's going to happen here is Villanova is going to be on a four-year streak where it averages more than 30 wins per season, and the only coach to have defeated Villanova at the pavilion will have been Holtman, who swept the reigning national champions when they did that, and Butler's going to end up getting a really nice seat, even though they've got some bad losses. This is now this is building up to just an uh, like if Butler loses at Xavier, I won't be shocked. They play Xavier on Sunday like they are. They have when you can sweep Villanova and lose to St. John's and Indiana State, you are proving that you basically can play with literally anyone in the country, but are capable to losing just about anyone. No, as well, they, they, they're the one team in the country. And I really do think this is true. They are the one team in the country that could go to the final four or lose in the round of 64. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, and I think that uh, I had to shoot a video for CBS Sports on Thursday. I don't know if I said that, but I definitely thought it. Like, sometimes I feel like so many people say that, and um, I just don't believe it most times. Like, yes, in theory, anyway, like, if Michigan but, State right, can lose, right. Michigan if Michigan State, State right. can lose as a two-seed, I get it. Any team can lose in the first round. But if you're talking, like, percentage-wise, if you're, like, running simulations, like, Butler is the one team this season where if you ran simulations of a tournament 10,000 times, their their finish their finish <laughs> would be all over the place because right. they definitely can get to the Final Four, and they definitely easily could lose in the first round. There's no team that's really quite like them, um, which honestly makes it a lot of fun and convinces me that no matter what I do with Butler in the tournament, I'm going to be wrong. Um, so I thought about it more from that angle, GP, more about the, the Bulldogs and how this will certainly like i think that sweeping villanova will my guess is this unless butler like wins out which i don't think will happen my guess is butler winds up unless all the bracketologists are really aggressive on them i bet you they wind up one seed higher than forecast because the committee will take those wins over villanova and really give them a lot of credit and since we saw with the midseason update butler was a top four seed right. and we disagreed with that right we, we both disagreed with that but we all we already have that precedent. I think that sweeping Villanova will overcome any bad losses that they have. So if we think that they're going to be a five, watch them be a four. That's my guess. Villanova, yeah, I would still have them as a one at this point. Um, I do wonder, and it's too hard to tell in the here and the now. I do wonder if losing and getting swept by Butler takes them out of the running for the number one overall seed. Now, if Villanova does not lose again. If they run through the Big East tournament, I believe that that Gonzaga, if it's undefeated, should be the number one overall seed. But if Villanova and Kansas do not lose again, then you'll have some serious debate, and we'll see. But that's the only thing that I'm wondering right now. Like it, it, Villanova bumping off the one line, they'd have to lose again, like at Georgetown to close out the season, or lose to a bad team in the Big East tournament. Otherwise, they're going to be a one. Hey, hey. You know, real quick on this. If Gonzaga is undefeated with wins over Arizona, Florida, two over St. Mary's, and a win over the Iowa State team that won at Kansas, and a win over the Tennessee team that beat Kentucky, there is no way you can give the number one overall seed to a Villanova team that lost at home to Butler. I agree, yeah. but I'm just, I think people will discuss that. I, I'm with you. I, I, it'll be a discussion. I just know where I would stand on that discussion. Um, as it relates to Butler, you're exactly right. If there's one takeaway from that bracket reveal show a few weekends ago, and you and I talked about this on the podcast, it's that the committee valued wins and 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 didn't care, didn't seem to care too much about losses. That's how Butler ended up in the as a top four seed. They had amazing wins. That's how Florida State was a top four seed. They had amazing wins. 
it's uh, it, it, and so like yeah, Butler just added another amazing win. They're gonna be seated probably higher than I would have them seated, but like whatever, they're out there getting wins, and uh, it's an incredible job for Chris Holtman. And you're exactly right; he's about to get paid either by Butler or somebody. And here's why: um, he's underpaid relative to you know because they had him in a weird spot. Like he got that job on an interim basis, and then it was like. You know, they right. just put the money on the table, and he's like, oh, yeah, I, you know, three months ago, I wasn't even supposed to be – I was supposed to be exactly. an assistant like, coach in that spot, you, you, Right, and that's why you're like, oh, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, right. just take whatever. Okay. You ain't, That ain't where you're hard negotiating. But there is always – and this coaching carousel has got a chance to get wild. Like, there, I mean, there could be some big-time jobs opening. Everything from Washington to LSU, NC State's already open. Georgia yes. could maybe open. Indiana could obviously – Maybe open. There's going to be some Missouri is almost Illinois, certainly going to open. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Be, could, yeah. Here's my thing. There's always more good jobs than there are good candidates. And Chris Holtman is going to be a candidate for basically every job because every all of those schools can afford to pay him way more money than he's making already. It doesn't mean that he wants to leave Butler. And I think this is important to point out. It doesn't mean he wants to leave Butler. And it doesn't mean that he will leave Butler. Uh, but when somebody is offering the double your salary, I don't care if you're a basketball coach or a sports writer, you pay attention to that. And so, um, yeah, either Butler's about to pay him or somebody else is about to pay him. Uh, because whatever he's making at this moment, um, it ain't going to be what he's making a year from now, whether that's in Indianapolis or uh, somewhere else. We were talking about the quality of Butler's wins. Let's talk about the quality of Syracuse's wins. They got another big one uh, on Wednesday night at the Carrier Dome over Duke. They now own wins over Duke, Florida State, Virginia, Miami, Wake Forest, and Monmouth. That's one, two, three, four, five, six top 50 wins. They're obviously on the bubble, but I'll say um, about them um, what I've said previously. Like if the committee, if you'll agree with me that the committee re- seems to really value wins, that's what we gathered from the bracket reveal. Well, then the other bubble teams don't have those kind of wins. You know, like Syracuse is just going to have more quality wins than most of the teams they're competing with for the bubble. So as long as they um, don't fall apart, you know, here in the final few, you know, here in the final couple of weeks before selection Sunday, um, and and by fall apart, I don't mean lose at Louisville, of course, like the, on Sunday. Yeah, lose at Louisville, whatever. I don't even care. Um, just close out with a win over Georgia Tech uh, at home. Finish ten and eight in the ACC, and would go into the ACC tournament with six top fifty wins. I think Syracuse is going to make the NCAA tournament, which is remarkable because at one point they were eleven and nine overall and three and four in the ACC. But here comes Jim Beheim again, right? Here he comes again. Okay, so one thing that I I think I stress just about every year is that yes, okay. The really good wins are important, but damn it, your losses freaking matter, and especially if you have losses to bad teams. I agree with like, you, but, like I, but I, I'm not sure they matter as much as you to the committee as much as you and I think they should. I know, and they and they really, really should. Um, now, this is not an easy thing, obviously, because ultimately, what's going to happen in that room two weeks from when we're recording this? My goodness, we're right around the corner. Um, is the committee will bring up Syracuse. They'll bring up their team sheet. That team sheet, which hopefully will be changed forever come next year, but for this year it's going to be what they've used in, you know, over the past you know, 10, 15 years or whatever, um, will have top 25 wins, top 50 wins, road, road record, neutral record, road neutral record, sub 50, sub 100 losses, all this stuff. And when Syracuse gets brought up, and it's compared to one or two other like teams, Syracuse's wins are going to stack up really well against other teams on the bubble. 
But Syracuse has an awful home loss to St. John's, a bad home loss to Georgetown, was hideous on a neutral to UConn, lost to Boston College. Those things should have some serious impact. My belief, Parrish, Syracuse is 17 and 12 right now. My belief is they need one more win to get into the tournament. You cannot lose at Louisville, drop a home game to Georgia Tech, and drop your first game in the ACC tournament, get to 17 and 15 and get in the tournament. That will not happen. I agree with you. Uh, I'll, I'll, write a, I'll, I'll kill the committee if they put a 17 and 15 Syracuse team in. I know it has some good wins, but when you've won only two more games than you've lost, you do not deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. So I would, I would rail against Q's getting in with that record. If you can just get business done against Georgia Tech, I understand losing to Louisville, and maybe you get picked off against a desperate bubble team in the first round of the ACC tournament. If you get in at 18 and 14, first four, I'd be okay. But you would agree, right? A 17 and 15 Syracuse team, I understand the wins are good pairs, but the losses matter. If you have 15 losses, that is that is borderline should kick you out of the field. 15 <laughs> is a whole hell of a lot. I, I, yes, I agree with you. Um, my When I say I think Syracuse is going to get in, that is um, based on I also think Syracuse is going to split their last two regular season games. I think they're going to lose at Louisville, and I don't care. Lose by two, lose by 20, whatever. Um, and then I think they beat Georgia Tech at home. And if you beat Georgia Tech at home, that'll put you at 18-13 and 13 overall, 10-8 and eight in the ACC, heading into the ACC tournament. And then I think we'll probably be having conversations about them. And keep in mind, this is all fluid. Like you're competing against the field, not just some um, – yeah. there's not a finish line, so to speak. Uh, but I think we'll probably, if they're uh, – 18 and 13 overall, 10 and 8 in the ACC, heading into the ACC tournament. We'll be talking about, you know, they, they, they're, they're probably in right now, but they, you know, they, they, one more win will make them safe. We'll be having those conversations about them. I ultimately believe they're going to get into the NCAA tournament, and that's going to be based so on splitting the regular season uh, final two games. And then I don't want to say whatever they do in the ACC tournament because we don't even know who they're playing. Like, it could end up being their first game as a – is a quality win or a quality loss or enough. It could be a, a horrendous loss. You know, we don't know who the opponent is. So we'll have to wait and see. But if I were betting money right now, I would bet on Syracuse getting in on the quality of their wins. Right now, again, they've got six top 50. And before we start looking ahead, um, uh, there was another game Wednesday night. And I, I think it was probably on paper the most significant one it was the top 10 matchup between Louisville and North Carolina. It got completely overshadowed because – you know, Duke lost at the buzzer inside the Carrier Dome and because Villanova was upset at the Pavilion by Butler um, because Kansas, and really this got overshadowed as well, like Kansas a- actually secured a 13th straight Big 12 title. Uh, but North Carolina uh, hosted Louisville and, and uh, you know, they, they won it by double digits, 74-63. And I think right now, um, and it's funny, like uh, Jerry Palm moved in this direction as well. Like we both did at the exact same time. And I promise you, I wasn't copying him and I, I'm confident he wasn't copying me. Um, it's just, we looked at the same thing and, and, and saw the same thing. That's your fourth number one seed right now. If the number, if, if we held the tournament today, it would be Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas, and I believe North Carolina. And uh, while I, I think probably anybody speaking about selection Sunday, uh, you know, two weeks in advance of selection Sunday often looks stupid um, I would predict right now that those are going to be the four number one seeds, Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas, and North Carolina. Uh, that's fairly safe, I think. And, yeah, I mean, for Oregon fans listening, Dylan Brooks winning at the buzzer Wednesday. Yeah, it, was right. just, it, was, it was It was a huge night. It was, it was, it was awesome. Um, 
Oh, and Minnesota yeah. and Minnesota winning at Maryland. I know. <laughs> uh, and the Big East went wild. Wednesday was really was really fairly nuts. Um, Carolina now owns a two game lead in the ACC. It's got enough good wins. It's by the way, it's been doing this facing the toughest down the stretch schedule in the ACC of, of any team. And it's not done. I mean, they've got a game at Pittsburgh that could be a little slippery beat Pittsburgh. But if you don't like if you don't, then it gets even it gets weirder because then you got Virginia on Monday. And I know Virginia is just, you know, sort of slipping all over itself. But we'll see. And then you got Duke. So with Carolina right now, yes, number one seed. Project them to be the number one. I'm just going to hesitate a little bit here, Parrish, because the schedule's still tough. We'll see what happens in the league. And overall, and I want to, I almost want to push this to next week, but I'll tease it like this. The ACC, and this kind of touches on what we were talking about with Syracuse, the ACC is such a muddled mess here that when it comes to selecting and seeding a lot of these teams, I just think it's going to be inevitable. Like, we just have never had... I don't even think the Big East Parish uh, of 2011 was this contradictory in its results. That's a good because word Because when it. you look at... When you look at what, like, Georgia Tech has done, right? And if Georgia Tech beats Syracuse and will have a sweep of Syracuse, like, how could you possibly say Syracuse should get in, but Georgia Tech shouldn't when you look at Georgia Tech's wins? Like, it it's also has some really good wins. So what, I, what I'm getting at here is that there's still so much to be sorted out with the ACC regular season and then the tournament. It's going to be like, let's just wait till next week. Let's see. Let's wait till we have more results here. Cause I can't, I can't even forecast what's going to happen. Duke is still has an outside shot at a two seed, in my opinion, Louisville as well. Florida state still has amazing wins. Notre Dame's kind of cruising under the radar. Miami uh, needs one win, in my opinion, to lock up a bit. I still don't think Miami, which has a bad non-conference schedule, is even in. But again, the ACC is so deep. Like, it's going to get these teams in. It's just a matter of who's going to get the wins. It's way hard to sort out. But as for Carolina, uh, I will not say right now that I think they're going to get a one seed. I think that they can, obviously. And I would barely lean yes that it happens. But they still have they have too many potential roadblocks and – Let's not discount. I tweeted this late last night. Let's just not discount the fact that the Pac-12, I know it's not a great league, but we got a huge game that we're going to preview here in a second. And one of those, UCLA, Arizona, both have three losses. Oregon has four. If Oregon can win the Pac-12 tournament and finish out with two road wins here, one of those three teams is going to have a, a real claim, in my opinion, to a one seed as well. So it's it's awesome. I love when we have this much doubt about the one line this late into the season and I, I can't tell you with any sort of definitiveness right now other than Gonzaga's going to get a one Kansas is going to get a one and I think Nova will get a one as long as it doesn't take two more losses I think Nova's going to win the Big East tournament and some of that's got to do with you know Creighton's injury you know Creighton didn't have a, its point guard Xavier didn't have its point guard like they I don't want to say they benefited from that because Villanova was the best team in the league anyway but it really does now that they've already got the resume built uh, the fact that Mo Watson's no longer playing, Edmund Sumner's no longer playing, like takes some hurdles out from in front of them where I, I think they probably win the Big East tournament and secure a one seed. I feel comfortable with Kansas, Villanova, Gonzaga as once. Like, I, I think that's going to happen. They like Those teams would really have to do something stupid uh, in these next two weeks for that not to happen. And uh, then I'm with you. Yeah, I, I say I think it's going to be North Carolina, but it could easily be Oregon. I think it could reasonably be Arizona. And I wouldn't count UCLA out either. Like if, if any of those teams won out, 
Like one, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Parrish. if any exactly. of those teams won out, they could be a one seed. Any of them, any of the three. And how many leagues in the country actually have three teams that you could reasonably put in the final four? Like if we looked up, because I believe this is a bracketing principle. The top four teams from a league have to be in different regionals. Isn't that true? Um, you, you know, you had mentioned that to me over a text. Uh, I read that somewhere. It could I, I, that might that yeah. I can't. I think that is right, but I can't definitively one hundred percent say. Now I know that some of the uh, bracketing principles have been tweaked, whereas they used to say if you're in the same league, you can't play until the elite eight. That's no longer that's, the case. Yeah, and, that's not uh, the case. Yeah, and like specifically, like with if the ACC gets. 11 teams and you literally cannot avoid that right. even with first weekend stuff. Right. But yeah. So as, as to what you're getting at, yes. And the ACC is the only league. Yeah. I still think UNC Louisville Duke are all reasonable. Yeah, that's you know? fair. Here's my point. Uh, assuming that that is a bracketing principle, I believe that it is. Uh, yeah. It means Oregon, UCLA and Arizona are going to be put in different regionals. There will be people filling out brackets reasonably who have all three in the final four. And it, yeah, like it, it's it's pretty wild. And back to the this, ACC real quick, real quick before we move on. Um, North Carolina's got a two-game lead in that league right now. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to win uh, the outright title, uh, but it does suggest that they're going to probably win the outright title and that they might actually, and at worst case scenario, they're going to share it. Uh, they're going to be ACC champions, barring something silly. Um, it'll be the eighth ACC regular season title for Roy Williams in the past 13 years. If you're another college basketball writer, don't mess around with this because I'm going to write this column soon. Do you know how many Mike Krzyzewski has in that same span? I know he has no outright title since 2006. He has two ACC titles since 2005. Roy Williams is about to have his eighth in the exact same span. Does that blow your mind? Tells me Mike Krzyzewski is overrated as hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what no, it does? It's, it's you know, wild, though. It, yeah. It, it really, like, I don't think Roy gets enough credit. Like, you know, Mike gets plenty of credit. Uh, Izzo gets all the credit. Self, I think, is properly credited for his achievements. Patino is considered, uh, you know, one of the best. Calipari, I think once upon a time, didn't get credit for his coaching, quote, coaching. But now I think people sort of gen- generally agree that John Calipari is one of the greats. Um, to ever do it, I, Roy does not get the credit he deserves. If it's so easy to do what Roy does, then why has Mike Shesky got two ACC titles in the past thirteen years, and Roy's about to have his eighth? That's a great question. Now, all, and I can't even counter it with, well, it means what you do in March. The fact of the matter is, Roy has won multiple titles. two national titles since you know two thousand five. That's just as many as Shesky. And just made the national title game last year. So really, in the in the broad scope of it, yes, Roy Williams is undervalued. We talked about this like two years ago uh, on the podcast. We had like a long, long chat about this. And there are still even Carolina fans that aren't plenty, plenty totally like appreciate Roy. But there is definitely a faction, be it a small one, that I think... Just wish Roy was a little bit better at his job, was a little more uh, successful on the recruiting trail. But what you're laying out here is just undeniable. And now kind of to hammer home that ideal in the year that could be the toughest year in ACC history, he could potentially win it by two games is just it's 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 crazy what what he's been able to do in, in Carolina right now, I would put. I had to rank the. T- I think Gonzaga is the best team in college basketball. I would say Gonzaga's one, 
I would say Kansas is two. I think I would oh, – Paris, this is – it's really hard because I was thinking about this with the West Coast teams. I think I would say Arizona is three, Carolina's four. Dude, like Villanova five, Oregon six, UCLA seven. It's – it's. I think I said Kansas in there. It just – There's not there's, an, um, there's not much difference between those teams. They're dude, just it's not. such a massive cram. It's, it's amazing how close all those teams are, but I think Gonzaga has – you can see uh, some daylight between the rest. I do think that Gonzaga is firmly the best team in college basketball. That's Gonzaga that is undefeated and coming off of a 58-point victory. They beat somebody by 58 points Thursday night. Like, it, it was, I think, I, I, I think it's the largest. Stupid. I think I read this somewhere. I keep, I, keep, I keep referencing things by saying, I think I read this somewhere, because I never know if I'm making something up or not. Um, I believe this is true. I, I read this Um it was the largest margin of victory in a conference game for a top-ranked team in the history of college basketball. That 58-point win over yes. San Diego. Is that true? On the road. On the road. On the road. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Like I, I, I see I had it partly right. But just, um, I mean, they're clobbering people. And uh, all the computers love them. Um, yeah, I got no issue with somebody making uh, an argument that Gonzaga is the best team in the country. Not just the, the team that should be ranked number one, but also the best. And by the way, those two things aren't always the same. Like who should be ranked number one and who's the best team in the country? Um, those are often uh, different answers, at least in my mind. But um, right now, I think it's the same. It might be the same answer. It's Gonzaga for both. Let me tell you about Seat Geek real quick. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find. Uh, the best deal for that game or that concert that you want to attend. But it's not hard anymore, and that's because SeatGeek. SeatGeek came along, and they changed the game. It's a, it created an amazing app and a website, uh, and they make it easier than ever uh, for fans to buy and sell uh, tickets. Once upon a time, like you don't know where to go. Do you go to this place, that place? Are you getting ripped off? Is this legit? Are you getting the best price? Are you getting the best ticket? Um, you know, are, are there better tickets available at this spot rather than that spot? You're just you're spending hours in some cases. Like, trust me, I, I've spent hours in some cases trying to, uh, you know, research the best deal for the best ticket. You don't have to do that anymore. Not with SeatGeek. They handle uh, a price comparison for you. Uh, they search multiple ticket sites for you. Uh, in other words, they do all the work and you save time and you save money. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, go get the SeatGeek app. Download it. If you haven't already, like, and if you haven't already, like, why have you been ignoring me for so long? Go do it right now. Download the SeatGeek app. Then go purchase tickets to whatever you're going to. College basketball game, NBA game, baseball's right around the corner, concerts, doesn't matter. Buy the tickets, then use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek's going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code is COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Let's look ahead to the weekend because it should be a awesome a Saturday of college basketball. Uh, in the afternoon, we get Florida at Kentucky. It's a 2 o'clock Eastern tip. It's on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Both schools are 13-2 and two in the SEC right now. And we sort of touched on this, I believe, in the last podcast, but it's worth revisiting because we're now you know, a little more than 24 hours away from tip-off. Um, it's essentially going to decide the SEC regular season title. Like uh, Both these teams have two games left after this one. Um, they're going to be favored in both. It doesn't mean they can't lose them. Uh, but if you win on Saturday, this seems definitely true. You win on Saturday, you're going to get at least a share of the SEC title because even if you lose one of your last two games, you're going to get, and the other team goes undefeated, you're going to get at least a share. So John Calipari going for his fifth SEC regular season title, essentially. Michael White looking for his first. You give Florida a reasonable chance, any chance, to go into Rupp Arena and actually win the game? 
definitely give them a reasonable chance to do it. I do think that Florida has played like the most consistent and best all-around team in the league this season, but this is on Kentucky's home floor. Give me the Wildcats. I th- I wonder how effective they'll be scoring against Florida, which ranks higher on Ken Palm, has definitely turned into a much better defensive team. That's something that we've mentioned on the podcast here and there, GP. But but the overall story with Kentucky right now, and the thing that I think bothers Calipari the most, is this team is not great defensively. It's good and it's effective, but it is not what he thought it would be, and they've fallen short of that. So I'm wondering if uh, the better defensive team will end up winning on the, on Saturday in Florida is the better defensive team. Let's see how well Kentucky can go against them. Give me UK 78-72. Remember, Florida is still um, they're shorthanded. They don't have their, their big man, John Igbunu. He's out for the season. And so does that rear its head? Uh, does Bam Adebayo have a solid game? He looked pretty decent uh, in Kentucky's you know closer than expected road win against Missouri. Uh, intrigued by that, but as I think I said earlier this week on the podcast, the the Michael White era at Florida is a is a year ahead of schedule, and I know I said this: if if Florida does win against Kentucky, that will be a sweep, and they'll lock up the league essentially, and it would, you know, definitively announce Florida's return in the post Billy Donovan era to a national audience that maybe has only seen the Gators in bits and pieces. You win that on CBS on Saturday. Network of stars. It also gives you instant network of stars, man. It. it it would give them a also still uh, logical hope at landing a two seed, which is way beyond anything Florida was expecting heading into the season. It is um, a game between the the two teams that I I, I thought were going to be the two best in the SEC. I think um, I think some people thought maybe Texas A and M would be the second best, but I believe if you go back and look at our preseason projections, I had Kentucky one, Florida two. So here we are. Um, yeah, they got a chance. It's a forty minute basketball game, whatever. But it's uh, just difficult to beat. Kentucky inside Rupp Arena. It doesn't mean it can't be done. We watch UCLA do it, um, but I, I'd be surprised if Florida, um, if Florida won the game. That said, um, no shame in losing it. Basically, everybody loses at Rupp Arena for like the past eight years now. So um, you know, whatever. But uh, it, it'll be a, a big time matchup. Basically, I think Florida's going to need. I don't know whether it's Chris Chioza or uh, Casey Hill, Kevin Allen. Uh, but somebody's got to go Devin Downey. If you want to have a shot to beat the Wildcats when they've got guards uh, like Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox, which isn't that drastically different from once upon a time in 2010 when they had Eric Bledsoe and John Wall, the only way to, to actually catch that team, or at least one of the few ways to catch that team, one was to put Joe Mazzula on DeMarcus Cousins. That was an obvious one way to do it. The shout o- out to Joe Mazzula. Shout out to Joe Mazzula and shout out to Devin Downey. You either need Joe Mazzula to get on there and bang down you know, in the front court, or you need Devin Downey to go wild. Can Casey Hill go Devin Downey on Saturday? It's too tall a task. It's, it's not going to happen, but I'm... I'm- <laughs> I'm thrilled we, you dropped a Joe Missoula out of nowhere. <laughs> Dig you, it. How awesome was that? Hugs just put Joe Missoula on DeMarcus Cousins. Dude, that, that's uh, an overlooked game in terms of uh, the shock factor there, I think. People don't realize. Um, I don't know how many people were giving West Virginia a chance to even win that game going in. I believe that was at Syracuse, that regional. 
but uh, yeah, man, hugs. So I, I Missoula, love it. So I think I think I was at a Thursday Sunday pod. This is back when I used to actually go to basketball games and actually attend the NCAA tournament. <laughs> now all I do is go to New York and sit in studio and talk about it. Um, but I was like, I think I was at a Thursday Sunday pod. I want to say it was in Houston, but it could have been anywhere. That's not the point. So a bunch of us writers got together as we we tend to do. Um, and like, hey, let's go get some dinner, get some drinks, and we'll watch the games. And so we're watching that Kentucky-West Virginia game. And uh, so it was like, what in the world? Is Kentucky with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, really about to lose? And uh, then everybody's drinking and drinking and drinking. Here's the point of the story. At some point at my table, and I'm not going to name the writer, but, he, <laughs> but, but he's, a, he's a national writer, like a prominent guy. Like you would know the name if I knew it. If say, I said say it's Goodman, whatever, who cares? <laughs> it was not Goodman. I wish it were Goodman. Could like could have been Goodman, but it just was. It didn't happen to be this time. So I start smelling something, like so, like something's not right. Okay. And uh, and I'm like, what in the world? And I look underneath the table, and one okay, of the, where's the <laughs> one of the dudes? One of the dudes who was with us had thrown up underneath the table. Didn't even go to the bathroom. Just put his head under the table and threw up and then set up like it was nothing. What? <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Did you really puke underneath our table? He's like, I couldn't, I couldn't make it to the bathroom. I was like, you didn't even try? <laughs> you yeah, did. Like, are people's shoes just kind of just wasting away and it was, vomit? It was so loud and we were so distracted by the television. I know it seems uh, impossible that somebody could literally be sitting across from you, throw up underneath the table, and you would be unaware. But we were in a bar. There was, like, music playing. We were all focused on the television. So nobody actually saw him do it or heard him do it. So nobody was aware until I was like, man, I because I smelled something. And I looked under the table. Yeah, there was throw up on people's shoes. It was just bad. I was like, what like, What in the world? I wasn't mad at him because, like, what are you going to do? I had never heard that story, but uh, shout, out to Jeff, <laughs> shout out to Jeff Goodman for vomiting under a table. And shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Joe Mazzula. Shout out to Terry Teagle. Shout out to Cal Boone. Uh, 7.15 Central, 8.15 Eastern tomorrow night. Uh, we get UCLA at Arizona. Uh, three possible, I don't know about necessarily probable, two probable, two definite lottery picks on the court, one of whom you wrote about um, yesterday. Uh, three possible uh, lottery picks if you add TJ Leaf to the equation. Uh, two top five teams. Uh, two teams that, as we pointed out earlier, are in contention for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And it's going to be played in primetime on the East Coast, which I do think matters. Uh, because, like, how many people were awake the other night when Dylan Brooks hit that buzzer beater? You know, you, like, uh, on the East Coast. I was because we were working. But, like, most, most people aren't. Uh, so much that happens in the Pac-12. I don't believe in an East Coast bias, but there is like, you know, East Coast sleeping habits. You're just asleep when a lot of this stuff goes on. Uh, well, nobody's going to be asleep for this one. It's in prime time. It's on national television. It's not on America's Most Watched Network. It's on another one. But still, UCLA at Arizona, uh, that, that's a good way to spend a Saturday night, right? Our buddy Jeff Eisenberg has a story up at Yahoo that you should check out. He basically um, he's, he says that this is the best game and biggest game between these two programs, which, by the way, have established themselves over the past two decades. And UCLA has been around forever and Arizona, obviously, as well. But just in particular, in like the modern era, if you want to go back to Howland and, you know, Lutz Twilight Years uh, with the Wildcats, the, these are the two best programs in, in the league. And they have not played a game that's meant this much since the turn of the century. And it's, you know, both being so talented, so dangerous Arizona having the season that it's had, and no one could have predicted this three months ago, not in any way, shape, or form. Um, remember, Arizona won 
at UCLA yeah. uh, a month ago, basically, uh, and got a huge win, an impressive win. This one, if Arizona can win it, will lock up the Pac-12 for Sean Miller. I did write a piece on Lowry Markkinen, and uh, give it a read if you have the time. It's you know about a 15-minute read, and it's just it's to me I'm fascinated by him because he's a seven-footer that can shoot the three. I think he will get picked very, very high. Statistically, he's setting up to be the best seven-foot shooting player in, in college basketball history. Like No one's ever been that tall, shot this many threes, and been this good. And the fact that he came from Finland, decides to play in the middle of the desert, kind of give a background of how he grew up, um, what he did. It's it just an interesting case. And I think Markkanen, and by the way, I do the freshman rankings every week. It's such a loaded freshman class. I have Markkanen like seventh or eighth among all freshmen, and he's still really good. Like in most years, he would be a top three freshman of the year candidate. But this class is stacked. Obviously, he's going to go against two guys that I have ranked ahead of him in Lonzo Ball and TJ Leaf. And Leaf continues to be really, really good. I'm just I'm super psyched for this game. And in terms of West Coast basketball, I'm going to give a shout out to a guy named Josh Whiteside because I tweeted late on Thursday night. I said, I don't think the West has ever had four teams this good in one season because I do believe that Gonzaga, Arizona, Oregon and UCLA are four of the 10 best teams in the country. And he said the last time was maybe 1998. I had forgotten that New Mexico was this good. But he said Arizona, Utah, Stanford and New Mexico all were top four seeds. Stanford and Utah made the final four that year. And coincidentally, Utah had a guy named uh, Hano Matala, who was fin- Finnish. And he was he's really the only person other than Markkinen that's ever been really, really good at basketball. So Utah makes the title game that year, plays against Kentucky. Arizona made the Elite Eight and UCLA made the Sweet 16 uh, that season. So with that, and now when you look at what we have here on the West Coast, it's it's a it's a big year. And it's been since Arizona in 97 that a team from the west has even won the national title super psyched for this game hope it's a really good one i've got arizona winning give me the wildcats give me them uh 91 88 i think this i think the winning team will crack 90 yeah let's go 88 84 arizona Uh, this is a game that while recognizing that ucla lost it at home like I would pick the home team. Like if they played it, like wherever the home team, like wherever we're playing the game, I'll take the home team. Um, I, very different teams in the way that they play, but I think comparable in terms of um, level of ability, like quality of team. It's why I, I think either could go to the Final Four. I wouldn't be shocked if either won uh, the national championship. I think Arizona wins it by four or five points. But either way, again, prime time, eight fifteen Eastern uh, tip off. That game's going to be on ESPN. Remember. Uh, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the uh, best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Uh, thank you all again for not only listening, but uh, uh, listening and then reacting to it on Twitter. I, I know that we uh, don't respond to every single thing. Just if you spent your days doing that, you'd get completely overwhelmed. Uh, but I do read every single thing. And it's always nice that you guys are uh, shouting out Devin Downey and uh, listening to the podcast. So we appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk to you again on Sunday afternoon pre-Oscars. We're going to knock this out for the Oscars, right? Yeah, we can do that. And we can also uh, make our Oscar predictions. So, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll get the podcast up by at the latest 7 Eastern on Sunday night. Deal, deal, deal. So we'll talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, take care.